Chapter Twenty Five of Bird's Eye Views of Far Lands. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Bird's Eye Views of Far Lands by James T. Nichols. Chapter Twenty Five The Land of Mystery, Peru. When we reach the backbone of Peru, we are not only above the clouds as in Bolivia, but we are surrounded by mystery. Here can be seen today the ruins of temples that were richer perhaps than any of those of the countries with which we are all so familiar. This article, however, will largely have to do with the Peruvian country as it is today. You could take a map of Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, North and South Dakota, Iowa, Illinois, Missouri, Nebraska, and Oklahoma, place them all on a map of Peru, and have territory left. The country runs largely north and south, having some 1,400 miles of sea coast. In the north is a great desert plain, but in this almost lifeless desert there is a great valley in which is a most interesting city. The name of the city is Piura, and it is on a small river bearing the same name. This river is more like the Nile in Egypt than any other river known. Up and down this river are farms and plantations with irrigation ditches leading to fields of rice and grain, sugar cane and cotton, as well as other valuable farm products. But upon the rise of the water in the river depends the life and prosperity of the people. Like the people of Egypt and the Nile, these people look upon this river with feelings of reverence. They have a great feast day for the river. In their springtime, when the snows melt, the river gradually rises, spreading over the valley bottom and filling all the low places and irrigation ditches with water. As the time for this rise approaches, every traveler from upstream is questioned, and on the day the big rise is due, the great feast day is proclaimed, and the people, generally five thousand or more, march toward the coming tide to meet the water. If there is an abundance of water, they are sure of a great harvest. With fife and drum they meet the oncoming flood and go back with it. If it is a great flood, they are happy and merry, but if the tide is low, they are sad and gloomy, for they know that many will be hungry. It rains here about once in seven years, and these are called the seven-year rains. Following the showers, there is a wonderful burst of life everywhere. Quick-growing grasses cover the land with a carpet of green, and fragrant blossoms fill the air with sweetness. But in a short time, except where the irrigation ditches reach the land, the entire region once more becomes a yellow, parched desert. In this valley grows the best cotton that is produced anywhere. It is a well-known fact among cotton growers that Pura cotton has a peculiar strength of fiber that makes it sell for nearly double the price of that grown in our southern states. As goats can live where other animals will starve, this valley is also noted for its great goat herds, which make their living on the dry mountain sides. The greatest seaport of Peru is Callao. If the sea were rough, this would be a dangerous harbor, for all ocean liners must anchor far from the docks, as only very small ships can approach them. I counted forty-two ocean liners in the harbor, so you can imagine that it is a busy place. 
These liners represented nearly every seafaring country on the globe. The city of Callao has had its ups and downs. Someone has said that the chief product of Peru is revolutions, and Callao has had its share of them. Also, nearly every earthquake along the coast gives this city a shaking up. At one time many years ago, when the city had a population of some 6,000 people, there came an earthquake followed by a mighty tidal wave that only left two persons alive. The very site of the city sunk beneath the waves of the ocean and never came up, the present city being built upon a new site entirely. The short ride from Callao to Lima, the capital city, is interesting. Here one is introduced to the famous mud fence, as the fences are all made of mud. Little patches of ground are tilled, and bananas, pears, oranges, and all kinds of fruit and vegetables, as well as corn and other grain, grow in abundance. Everything looks ancient. The ground is ploughed by oxen hitched to a wooden stick. The mud huts and houses of the farmers are almost as bare of furniture as a hen coop, and almost as dirty. It hardly seems possible that people so near the port, as well as the capital city, should be so far behind the times. The railroad runs along the Remock River, but this is nearly dry much of the time, the water being used for irrigation purposes. Everything smells bad, and the people are even dirtier than in Chile. Of course, there are some beautiful spots in the country, and plazas in the cities, but all this gush about the beauty and loveliness of things in general makes one tired. I saw more turkey buzzards and vultures in ten minutes in the city of Lima than I ever saw before all put together. At the slaughterhouse one can see a stream of blood running in the open soil, and I suppose the offals are dumped out for the vultures to devour. The Rockefeller Foundation has set apart $25 million, so I understand, to be spent in twenty-five Peruvian cities for the purpose of cleaning them up and providing sanitary systems for them. The leaders of this foundation have certainly found an appropriate place to spend money. I have seen four or five of the cities that are to benefit by this appropriation, and they all sure do need cleaning up. In Lima, of course, I went to the great cathedral. Everybody does this, for it is about the most outstanding thing to be seen. It is said to be the largest cathedral in South America. The cornerstone was laid by the great Pizarro himself in 1535. His bones are in the cathedral now. I saw them. They are in a coffin the side of which is made of glass. The very holes that were made in the bones when they tortured him can be seen. The guide declared that such is the case, and of course he would not yarn to a stranger in a sacred church. The houses in Lima are, as a rule, only one story high. The tops are flat, and many of them are almost covered with chicken coops. They say that many a rooster is hatched, grows up to old age, and enters the ministry without ever having set foot upon the ground. The small plaza in front of the cathedral is really beautiful, and there are some good substantial buildings around it. The large depot is a modern, well-built, stately building. The streets are narrow, and the shop doors are open to the street. The doors of these shops are corrugated iron, and are raised up like the cover of a roll-top desk. 
above the shops are the residences of the more well-to-do class little balconies are built out over the sidewalk and here the idle rich ladies sit and watch the crowds below to me a very interesting place was a building that used to be a sort of a place of refuge something like the cities of refuge we read about in the bible in the wide door so they say there used to be a chain stretched across and any man who could reach this was safe regardless of the crime he had committed no officers or law could touch him of course he was in the power of the keepers of the refuge they could enslave him for life or kill him and no law could touch them at least this is the story told me by a resident of the city but the briefest article about peru should not leave out at least a mention of the wonderful mountain railways of the country the central peruvian railway tracks reach the dizzy height of fifteen thousand eight hundred sixty five feet above sea level which is almost a mile higher than the famous marshall pass in the rockies this railroad too is a standard gauge to reach this altitude the train passes over forty-one bridges one of which is two hundred and fifty feet high it passes through sixty tunnels the highest one of which is the galeria tunnel which is fifteen thousand six hundred sixty five feet above the sea this railroad perhaps the most wonderful ever constructed was built by henry meigs an american contractor from new york some eight thousand men were employed in the construction and in some places in order to gain a foothold to begin their work they had to be swung down from dizzy heights above and held while they cut a safe place in the rocks as might be expected many men were killed during the building of this railway once a runaway engine crashed into a derrick car on the top of a bridge and the debris can be seen in the valley below to this day several americans lost their lives in this one accident it is quite remarkable however that there has not been a single accident where a life was lost since the construction was completed years ago this line is two hundred and fifty miles in length and every mile cost a snug fortune it takes a train almost ten hours to reach the summit and the average rise the entire distance is twenty-seven feet per minute near Callao are some islands which are very interesting to tillers of the soil especially in passing them i noticed millions and millions of birds for many centuries these islands have been the nesting places for these sea-fowl not only have these birds lived and died here but multiplied thousands of seal have come here to breed the droppings of these millions of birds and animals and the accumulating bodies of the dead have decayed and made a kind of grayish powder this substance is called guano and is hundreds of feet thick hundreds of years ago it was discovered that this substance is the best fertilizer known in the early days the incas took every precaution to distribute this guano to agriculturalists in the country districts of this deposit were allotted to certain territories and the boundaries of each district were clearly defined and all encroachments upon the rights of others were severely punished no one was allowed to go about these islands during the breeding season under pain of death and the same penalty was meted out to any man who killed either birds or animals here of late years millions of dollars worth of this guano have been shipped to all parts of the world 
while the islands are closed to shipping during the breeding season, and it is thought that many of the birds especially have been frightened away, yet they come in such numbers at times that it is said that the sky is darkened as they fly over. End of chapter 25